0: Heavenly Father, we ask that you would send your Holy Spirit to us now so that as we seek you with all our hearts, we would not stray from your commands. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. This morning we continue our series in the book of Philippians and the Apostle Paul has opened the book by speaking about his own struggles and particularly uh, the way that he is in prison and he wanted to encourage the Philippians who love him dearly uh, that he was okay and that what was happening to him was even serving to advance the gospel. But then he's moved to giving them some instructions on how they are to live and he's been encouraging them to stand as one man, to be united as Christians. And one of the ways that he has said that you can stand united, the one of the ways that you can draw closer to others is by being humble. We saw that last week as we looked at this passage together, verse 3 of chapter 2, it says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility... Consider others better than yourselves. If we are humble, then of course we will draw closer to others. Whereas if we are not humble and if we are proud, we will distance ourselves from others. And then he gave this wonderful example, which we studied last week, of the Lord Jesus Christ and his humility. Uh, Verse 5 says, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And what was the attitude of Christ Jesus? Well, what did he do? Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. See, the humility of the Lord Jesus Christ that he became man, the Son of God, took on flesh. And then we looked at how he also was humble in going to death not even just any death, but death on a cross. Verse 8, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And now, in verse 12 and 13, the apostle wants to teach the, the church in Philippi that they are to work out their salvation with fear and trembling. Verse 12, he says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my absence, but now much more in my... uh, Sorry, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. What does it mean to work out your salvation? Does this mean that we are to earn our salvation as Christians, that we are to work for our salvation? The answer, of course, is no. The Bible is very clear again and again that salvation is of God. It is by works, but the work of Christ Jesus. The works of Christ Jesus, not of our own works. And we see that even in the letter to the Philippians. Uh, Look with me back at chapter 1, verse 6. He says, Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Who began the good work in the church in Philippi? Well, it's God who began the work. And we understand in chapter 1, verse 29, that the faith, which we understand from the rest of scriptures, that we're saved by faith, by trusting in Christ Jesus, it is a gift. Verse 29 of chapter 1, for it is being granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. The faith that we have, even that, is a gift of the Lord, that faith which... By believing in Christ Jesus, we are counted as righteous before God. That is a gift. And even in verse 12, as he's saying, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, he opens it with the word, therefore. Verse 12, he says, therefore, my dear friends, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. What is the therefore, therefore? Well, it's there because he's just been speaking about the salvation that has come through the work of the lord jesus christ he's given this marvelous hymn about the incarnation the taking on of flesh of the son of god the death that he paid and then he has risen to the right hand of god is that all in vain then if we're to work out our salvation well yeah the answer would be yes if you work out your own salvation then why did jesus come it's a useless act to go to the cross if it's our works by which we are given salvation so what is the salvation that the philippians are to work out Well, it's the gradual saving from sin in this world. Of course, we are still under the the opposition of the evil one, the world, and, of course, the sinful flesh within our own hearts. And so there's this gradual process in our lives in this world by which we are working out our salvation, which we are being saved from our sin. What do we call this process? Well, it's called sanctification, the idea of becoming more and more holy, becoming more and more like God but living according to his ways, the killing of pride. Now, in one sense, we are already sanctified. I mean, the Apostle Paul, he opened the letter, verse one, verse 1 of chapter 1, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi. In one sense, because of the holiness of Christ, we have sanctification. We are already sanctified in him. We have his robes of righteousness put upon us. Some people call that positional sanctification or definitive sanctification. But there's also this process of sanctification as well progressive sanctification where you're becoming more and more holy where you're living up to what you have already attained there's this struggle over sin in our lives that we are working out that we struggle with the sin and we triumph over the sin so we're saved from the sin you may have a sin that you're struggling with and as you struggle with it you overcome it and that's a saving from that sin as you overcome it And this is what the Apostle Paul is speaking of here. When he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, it's this process of sanctification that he's wanting us to work out. And how are we meant to do it? Well, it's with fear and trembling. Verse 12 said there, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, why do we need to be afraid? Why do we need to tremble? And what would make us be afraid and tremble as we triumph over our sin? in this process of sanctification? Well, again, the thing that makes us tremble, be afraid, is humility. We saw last week the emphasis on humility there, particularly by bringing in the Lord Jesus as an example of humility. The proud man isn't afraid. Think of a really proud man. He doesn't fear anything. But a humble man, he is afraid and he trembles. And so what does the Apostle Paul say As he instructs the church in Philippi, and he instructs us today, because we can take this as an application to us as well as Christians, what does he say to them to cause fear and trembling, to cause humility in them as they work out their salvation? Well, he says that the salvation that you're working out, the sanctification process that you're going through, the triumphs that you're having as you're pursuing good works and achieving good works, is God's work. That's what he says in verse 13. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. He reminds them that it's by the Spirit from God that they can achieve anything good. And so, of course, that humbles someone, doesn't it? It causes them to fear and tremble. And this is something that's particularly helpful for the church in Philippi to hear. Because what is the church in Philippi like? What are are they well, they're pretty good Christians, really. When you compare this letter to some of other Paul's letters in the New Testament, they're written to churches where people have been misbehaving in terrible ways. You think of the church in Corinth, and he says, not even pagans tolerate what's going on amongst you. He talks to the church in churches in Galatia and says, o foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? But the way he speaks to the church in Philippi is one of love and he enjoys hearing from them and they enjoy hearing from him there's a good relationship with one another and even in the text that we're looking at now he exemplifies them he says you you are faithful christians look with me at verse 12 therefore my dear friends as you have always obeyed always obeyed not only in my presence but now much more in my absence continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling they've always obeyed he said not only when paul was amongst them But even while Paul's been away from them, in prison, they're still being obedient. And so then he has this statement to them, these obedient Christians, to cause them fear and trembling. And what is that statement? Well, it's that it is God who works in you. Now, why would he say this to them? Because if they're obedient Christians, if they're pretty good then what's the danger for them? What's the great danger for those who are pretty good at the sanctification process? Not like the church in Corinth, not like the churches in Galatia. They're pretty good. Well, what's the danger for them? It's pride in their sanctification. Pride about how good they are, how obedient they are, how they're always obedient, not only when Paul is amongst them, but also when Paul is absent. Sinful humans will boast about anything. They'll boast about Their sin, you go out into the world, people will brag about their sin. But humans also love to brag about their righteousness, about the good that they do. They love to make much of it, to brag about their holiness and their good works. Now, as Christians, if we're like the church in Philippi, if we're obedient, always obedient, in the absence of the Apostle Paul today, of course, we have his letters, But what works of sanctification could we be proud of today? Well, the whole of the law is summed up with love for God and love for neighbour. And how's that shown? Well, we could be proud of our theological convictions, our love for God's doctrines, for his teachings, and our confessions that articulate those doctrines so clearly. We could love them and be proud of our confessions. And couldn't we be sinfully proud of our spiritual labours? What am I talking about? Well, our Bible reading, our prayers, our singing, our observance of the ordinances of baptism. Be proud that I was baptised on that particular date by that person and speak of it with a sinful pride. Couldn't we be proud of the way that we never miss the Lord's Supper? I'm always there to take of the bread and drink of the juice. Couldn't we be sinfully proud of our giving to the Lord's work? Could we be sinfully proud of our church attendance, our church membership? Could we be sinfully proud of our evangelism, the way that we're always sharing the good news with our family, with our neighbours, with our friends, with strangers on the street? Could we be sinfully proud of that? And could we be sinfully proud not just of our spiritual exercises, but also our physical works, The way that we help others, our acts of kindness. Is it possible to be sinfully proud of such work? The answer is yes. And who exemplifies that best? Well, one of the best examples of this is the Pharisees in the New Testament. And one example given to us by the Lord Jesus himself. Turn with me now to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, which is found on page 1038. Luke chapter 18, and we'll read from verse 9. Verse 9 of Luke chapter 18. 1,038. Luke 18, verse 9. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Isn't it all too easy to proudly say, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. And as we excel in our good works then, How do we avoid falling into the trap, into that pit of pride about our good works, about our sanctification? Well, it's by remembering that our justification is wrought by God, but also our sanctification is wrought by God. We are justified before God, right before him because of the work of Christ Jesus, but also our sanctification, our growing more and more holy, the good works that we do, it's all by God as well, by his spirit working in us. God doesn't help us after all we can do. God starts the work and he's the one who continues the work in our lives. I want you to picture the most beautiful, modern home. I'll describe something of what would look really good. You think of the main entrance as you come in. It's got security cameras up everywhere. There's a doorbell there with an intercom on it by which you can communicate with those people inside and throughout the place. If you want to talk to your kids up in your room, you can use the intercom that's there in the kitchen. There's beautiful chandelier as you come in, very elaborate, all lit up. In the living room, there's a large television, there's a sound system that gives crystal clear sound, there's video consoles, there's DVDs and CDs and games, there's a large library of these mediums there. There's a kitchen with a big oven, a microwave, one of those large fridges that give you ice when you press a button. There's a coffee machine that grinds its own beans. And there's a dishwasher, a very large dishwasher that can handle everything you throw at it. You've got an office in this lovely home with a powerful PC, large monitors, crystal clear sound system for the the sound of the computer as well, strong modem and router with high speed internet, lamps to illuminate all the work that you'd be doing. In the laundry, there's a large washing machine, a dryer, best vacuum cleaner, maybe even a robotic vacuum cleaner that can clean your house for you. In the bedroom, there's a television that lowers down into the cabinet at the push of a button, so you don't know it's there until you want to watch television. And, of course, there's alarm clocks, there's wireless chargers for your phones. And throughout the house, you've got down lights with dimmers so you can get the lighting just right at every moment. There's air conditioning, there's electronic assistance if you need to communicate with different people, of course, or or get the, the things to turn on just by voice activation... You've got music playing throughout the house and power shutters to block out sunlight when you need it. And, of course, in the garage, you might have the, largest, uh, the, the latest electric vehicle with automatic garage doors so you don't even have to pull up your door. There's shelves of power tools there for any handyman work that you need to do. You think of the garden. There's a large heated pool with garden lights and a spa and a well-lit patio with a lovely barbecue there. For entertaining, the garden shed is full of garden power tools to maintain the immaculate garden. Now, think of this house. Now, who wouldn't want to show off such a home? Show it off to others. Look at my home. Now, what would humble the owner of such a house? What would humble someone who is proud of their home? They've worked so hard and accumulated so much money to be able to purchase such a home. What would humble them? The Electricity being cut off. Cut the electricity off. It'd be humiliating to show off a home like that with the power off. Jill and I went to someone's place once to see their house and to have lunch with them. And the power, there was a blackout while we were there. And part of the meal was already cooked, but they had to get out the camping stove to finish it off. Thankfully, they had an outdoor patio area and it was lunchtime, so we were able to eat in the daylight. But it was very limiting once the power was cut off as to what they could show us and about their home. And even the meal, it was in jeopardy. If they hadn't had the camping stove, what would they have done in cooking the meat? They would have just had to eat salad. It's a humbling thing every time we have a blackout and the electricity is cut off. It doesn't matter how many DVDs and CDs and games you have if you can't play them. It doesn't matter how powerful your home office is if you can't work in it doesn't matter how fancy your kitchen is if you can't cook without power let alone store food if it goes for a few days that fridge with the ice it ain't going to be producing ice anymore and this is what we need to remember when we think of the best of christians think of the best of christians someone who loves the lord and loves his neighbour as himself. He holds to the very best of confessions and can demonstrate from Scripture that he is in the right when it comes to any sort of doctrinal dispute. Think of the Christian who is faithful in his spiritual exercises. He prays, he reads his Bible, he sings like an angel, he's generous with his money, he gives far more than 10%. He evangelises, he's a faithful church member and has been so for years. He's there at every member's meeting to vote. He's always loving to others he provides for his family he's faithful in his work he's hospitable with his home he feeds the poor he may even be described here in philippians chapter 1 as we look at the text philippians chapter 1 verse 27 where the apostle paul says whatever happens conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of christ well that's this man he conducts himself in a manner worthy of the gospel of christ And then he, he, as it continues there in verse 27, I will know that you stand firm. He stands firm in one spirit. He contends as one man for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose him. He says, bring it on. And when we move into verse 2 of chapter 2, Then make my joy complete by being like-minded. This man, he is like-minded with the brethren. He's having the same love. He's being one in spirit and purpose. He does nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility, he considers others better than himself. He looks not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. If you want to know the exemplary Christian, someone who is very faithful, then, of course, you look up the qualifications for an elder. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Think of this man. He is above reproach, the husband of but one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money, manages his own family well and sees that his children obey him with proper respect and he has a good reputation with outsiders. Now, what could cause fear and trembling for a man like that? Keeping him from pride about his sanctification, about his good works. Remembering that all his good works, all his good works, are dependent upon God. It's ultimately the spirit who has been at work in such a man. Isn't it God who provided the energy by which he could do all those things? Isn't it God who provided even the will by the Holy Spirit to do those things? What does it say there in verse 12? Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only my uh, presence but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will. Even your desire to do what is right is from God, to will and to act according to his good purpose. It is God who provides the energy to do all those good works. It's God who provides the will to do those good works. And it is God who provides the opportunities to do those good works. I mean, the world that you interact with so well, it's all of God. He created this world. He created those people that you do good works for. He creates the opportunities. He brings them into your life so then you can do those good things. It's all of God. Now, I want to be careful. It's not as though we don't participate in the work. Of course, we don't let go and let God. No, we do the work just like a really nice dishwasher washes the dishes. Yes, it washes the dishes, but it only washes the dishes because it's got electricity flowing through it. And even then, the dishwasher didn't design itself and manufacture itself and install itself there. Somebody else had to do all that. It does wash the dishes, but it's dependent Upon others. It's dependent upon the electricity to keep coming. It's dependent upon others to put it in that place. And so, if we know that all our good works, all the good that we do, are of God, what's our reaction? Well, humility, fear, and trembling. Why? We know that if God had cut off the electricity, if God had cut off the Holy Spirit from us at any given point, Our sinful nature would have run rampant and we would have not done anything good. Why else? If God had not desired it, we wouldn't even be a new man, let alone live as a new man. Now, I want to be careful here. I don't think this fear and trembling that is here before us, as he says there, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, is a fear of something bad happening to us. I think it's more of a fear of joy in us, that God works in us. It's this fear to understand, this reverential fear that God uses us for his pleasure. He actually uses us. Because that's what it says in the text, verse 13 For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. His, and another way you could translate that is uh, his good pleasure. I don't think the Apostle Paul is trying to strike fear of discipline or something negative is going to happen to you into the hearts of the people. Why? Well, he says to them in verse 12, Therefore, my dear friends. He's not saying, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? He's saying, no, dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. He's pleased with them, but he wants them to remain humble before the Lord and to be fearful and tremble at the privilege that God has given them, that he would take sinful clay and then use it for his good pleasure, that he would work within sinful clay and do good in this world through them. Paul says as much about himself in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 9. He says, For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. The apostle Paul says, I worked harder than the rest of the apostles. His work. What does he say next? Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. He worked hard, yeah. You just read the book of Acts. You read the end of Second Corinthians. He worked hard, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. So do you boast? Do you boast about which confession you hold to and that you're on the right side of history? Do you boast about your spiritual works, about your prayer and your reading and your giving and your evangelising and your church attendance? Do you boast about your work for others in the home, for neighbours, for community, for your church? You've got to ask yourself, could you be like a Pharisee then? You're sinfully proud, sinfully proud of your labours. And you're saying, thank you, God, that I'm not like other men. We should all, even the very best of Christians here this morning, we should all let the words of Paul strike fear into all our hearts. From the very young to the very old, we should all tremble that God would use us. If we can see any good in our lives, any good works at all, we should fear and tremble with joy, that God would use us. We should humble ourselves over these words even now. From verse 13, For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. We should humble ourselves, crying out, O Lord, you are so kind. You are so gracious, so merciful to use a wretch like me to achieve something good. We should rejoice in him as he is pleased as it's for his good pleasure we should be pleased as well now if you can't do that if you think about your life you think about your confession you think about your spiritual exercises you think about your good works for others the acts of kindness you like to still see it as all you or at least part of me Does your pride this morning show something far worse than that you're like a Pharisee? Does it show that you are a Pharisee? That you are a Pharisee? That you're keeping laws. Oh, yes, you're keeping the law. But you're leaving prayer times unjustified. That's what we saw in that passage in Luke. The Pharisee didn't go home justified. Yet he was not like other men. He was not a robber. He was not an adulterer. He fasted twice a week. He gave to the poor. But he went home unjustified. Are your works, your obedience to the law, are they from your own energy and from your own will rather than God's energy and his will by the power of the Holy Spirit? Are you a whitewashed tomb? You look like a lovely home from the outside, but inside is all deadness. There's no electricity running through that lovely house of yours. Even though people from the outside think, oh, yes, that's really nice what's going on there. And even the appliances within your home, that lovely fridge, there's no motor in it. The television, it's just an empty shell of plastic. There's nothing within. Even if you were to turn on electricity, there's nothing there to be turned on within the television set. Is that you? That all your keeping of the law is just a shell. It's actual deadness. Well, you should fear and tremble if that is the case. Why? Not with joy. Not with joy. You should be afraid and you should tremble as well, but for a different reason. Why? What happens to houses that are deadness where they're corrupt and they're useless they're destroyed and it's the same for those who all their good works are stemming from themselves and not the work of god what happens to them one day they're burned in the fires of hell they are destroyed as useless If that is you, come to Christ now. Come to Christ now and pray the prayer of the truly humble. And the Lord Jesus gives you that prayer in that passage in Luke. What was the prayer of the tax collector? God, have mercy on me, a sinner. If there's any chance that all your keeping of the law is from yourself, And you can see it because there's still this part of you, this proud part, I'm such a righteous person. Come now before it's too late and ask God for mercy. Beg God to give you the spirit and make you a new house with powerful electricity running throughout. Because if you ask now, if you truly ask God for mercy, you will go home justified. You will go home right with God. And those who are justified live forever in heaven itself. Don't be proud of your works. Fear and tremble. If they stem from God, fear and tremble and rejoice. But if they're not from God, fear and tremble that you will burn along with your works. And come to him now for mercy. Let's come to him in prayer now. Let's speak to him. Heavenly Father, we praise you as the God of all love and all power. We thank you for granting us salvation and then working out our salvation in us. Oh Lord, we ask that you would forgive us for our pride, even the pride that we have of our good works. Help us by the power of the Holy Spirit, to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, knowing it is you who works in us, to will and to act according to your good purposes. And Lord, if there is anyone here this morning who is a Pharisee, who is proud of their works, proud of their good works, and therefore remains unjustified before you, O oh Lord, we pray that they would cry to you for mercy now and be justified in Christ's name.